All right, Alexander, let's talk about the interview between Tucker Carlson and Russian President Vladimir Putin. Uh, what are your thoughts on this interview? Just very quickly, I I think that if you have been following uh, the Duran or you've been following Putin over the last decade, two decades, and especially if you've been following uh, Putin since the beginning of the special military operation, I, I don't think that there was anything that he said during this interview that would be a surprise to to someone that has been following Russia or Putin. But that wasn't the target group for this interview. I think the target group was very much uh, the collective West, specifically the United States, because Tucker Carlson is a U.S. citizen, and uh, his interest is in the well-being of the United States. That's obvious. He's concerned about the United States. And it was targeting, I believe it was targeting, uh, a person who has not been exposed to Putin and has not heard the Russian side of things, perhaps someone that has just been following CNN or BBC or MSNBC or something like that. And all of a sudden they get to hear uh, Putin in a two hour interview, uh, very much a podcast like format, almost like a live stream, no interruptions. It wasn't confined to, to 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And uh, the whole thing just played out from start to finish, very much a conversation between uh, Tucker and uh, Putin. And Tucker did allow Putin to to speak at length about whatever he, he wanted to talk about, whether it was history, the, the, the conflict in Ukraine, how we got to where we are, um, all of these things. Uh, Putin was allowed to, to speak uh, freely and at whatever whatever time he needed to express himself. So anyway, uh, what were your thoughts on this this interview? Right. Well, I think the first thing I'm going to say is that I think he did give away one piece of information, which was new to me, and I follow and track Putin all the time, and which I think actually is important and tells us how why it's going to be incredibly difficult now to come to any kind of diplomatic or peace settlement um, about in, in over the crisis in Ukraine. And it takes us back directly to one specific event. I just want to re reference this. We can then move on to the rest of the interview. But I want to reference this specifically. And that was that he talked again about the Battle of Kiev, so-called, and the Russian withdrawal from Kiev. And the Russians, as we know, have always said that they withdrew from Kiev, uh, their forces from Kiev, in uh, March and April 2022, as a goodwill gesture in connection with the apparent agreement of the Istanbul Accords, and that they did that at the request of the Ukrainians. Now, Putin disclosed that it wasn't just the Ukrainians who asked for Russian troops to be withdrawn from Kiev. It was also the French and the Germans. So the French and the Germans were also in contact with the Russians at that time. Obviously, they were up to date with what was going on in Istanbul. And again, the French and the Germans asked Putin to withdraw the Russian troops from Kiev as a goodwill gesture. And then Putin says that the moment that happened, the Istanbul uh, agreement was thrown into the dustbin and the West pocketed and the Ukrainians pocketed 
the benefits of the Russian withdrawal, but didn't fulfill their promises. So that's important because, again, Putin, if you follow his interview very closely, it's full of comments about how he was repeatedly reaching out for agreements with Western leaders, thought that he was achieving agreements with Western leaders, taking steps in compliance with those agreements, only to find that the Western powers simply turned around and pocketed his concessions and um, then uh, simply made further demands. Anyway, I, I'll come to that later. Now, you're absolutely correct in what you Does said. It, can, 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 yeah. Before you go on, can, can I just ask you a question on that? On that, You're right there. That, that I didn't catch that, that he did make that distinction that it wasn't Ukraine. It was... Uh, it wasn't only Germany Ukraine. and France. It was the Germans. It was Germany and, and, yeah, France. and France. Okay, that, that that's yeah, that was that's a good uh, catch on uh, on your part. Uh, just before you go on to the rest of the interview, doesn't that play into uh, one of Putin's main grievances grievances in general with regards to France and even more so to Germany, of which Putin definitely had had a soft spot for Germany, had an affiliation with, with Germany. He was based there for many years, which is that if there was one country that consistently, um, for lack of a better word, duped him or conned him or or, play, or strung him along, it was Germany. And, and it looks like that in this instance, what you're referencing is perhaps the final time that Germany would string Putin along. I, I don't know, is that... That's absolutely that correct. correct. And, 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 and that is entirely the correct statement to make. He talks about uh, he talks about the Nord Stream uh, episode in immense detail, and you know the fact that parts of that of the gas pipeline system could still could still function, and the decisions that Germany has made about that. And he also speaks, frankly, with anger and disappointment about the conduct of Angela Merkel in connection with the Minsk agreement. So you're absolutely correct. I, I would add something else which he didn't mention, which is that, of course, if the Germans and the French did, and I have no reason to doubt what Putin is saying, if the French and the Germans were party to the um, request to have the Russians withdraw from around Kiev, then they have gone along ever since then with this story about the Ukrainian victory in Kiev, which they know isn't true. <laughs> they have, in effect, built up this myth of some great Ukrainian military victory around Kiev, which they know themselves is, an, is, is absolutely at variance with the actual facts. But, you know, we're now moving a bit into the detail of the interview, but I do think that is an important revelation. And it was interesting that Putin slipped it out. He did so very carefully, as he always does, in answer to a question from Taka. Um, but um, it was a very interesting disclosure, and it is going to be important going forward in future negotiations between Russia and the West, not just about Ukraine. Now, going back to your original point, you're absolutely correct. This was not... For you and me, I mean, you know, we, we noticed this particular detail that Putin disclosed. 
But in other respects, everything we heard from Putin is essentially what we already know. I mean, he talked about many of the topics we've heard him cover, about the dollar, about the multipolar system, about the role of the United States, about the elite, the role of the elites in the United States, about the repeated promises that the Russians were given um, at the end of the Cold War not to expand NATO eastwards, the pressure that Russia has felt itself under, about the support that the United States and the Western powers gave to the uh, um, uh, to the jihadist movements in the northern Caucasus, about which he fe- still feels clearly very angry about the failure of the ABM treaty, about all of these things. All of that is not new to us. He did provide a lot of very interesting anecdotal detail you know, of his specific interactions with Western officials and Western leaders, which we will come to again. But overall, you're absolutely correct. It's not substantively new. But of course, he wasn't addressing us. He was addressing Americans. And I'm going to say this, he, he, they will have seen him. They will have seen uh, a man of tremendous energy, colossal intellect, Somebody who has all the facts at his fingertips. Well, there was one date that he couldn't remember, which is when he came to the United States on one occasion and had a meeting with the with Bush father and son. This is clearly in uh, Bush Junior's presidency, but he was actually invited by Bush Senior. So I mean, he he missed one day, but in all other respects, he has his facts at his fingertips. He can answer questions at length. I will say this. I think he made a slip at the beginning. He, he gave this long, detailed history about Ukraine and Russian interactions with Ukraine. I think he went into far too much detail for an American audience. And it's not impossible that he uh, lost some people over the course of this. I mean, Tucker himself was beginning to become impatient. But it, it was something that Putin himself clearly felt a great need to get off his chest. And once he got past that and was interacting with Tucker a lot more actively, well, as I said, Americans would have heard his explanations, heard his accounts, heard his descriptions of his dealings with American officials over, you know, the 25 years that he's been at the helm in Russia. And I mean, I think a lot of that will have been revelatory, actually. And the way American officials, and not just American officials, European officials too, come along, tell him one thing, and go away and do something completely different. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Putin, in general, Putin does like to to get into the weeds with history. I mean, that's not uncharacteristic of Putin to to talk about history at length. So, yes, I agree with you. you. You could see that even Tucker was getting a bit impatient. But it isn't uncharacteristic of Putin's style either to to go into no, it's not. Of things. I mean, and, and obviously and, he enjoys history. Just, he, he is a, he he is a historian. History. I mean, he he enjoys yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's also Russian characteristic, if I might say. If you, if you interact with Russians, you know that Russians know their history in great detail. This is a very historically minded uh, country. Uh, uh, and Russians 
can always pull out these enormously detailed historical narratives for you. Um, and, you know, you can you get this from taxi drivers, you get this from waiters in restaurants, you get it from all sorts of people. So um, Putin obviously takes this to a further level because he is an immensely educated and erudite man. But it's the kind of thing that uh, Russians are accustomed to. Americans are not. And, of course, an American audience might have found this difficult. And to be frank, I think he could have said all of that in far fewer words. And, um, you know, coming from me, that's uh, quite, a, quite a thing to say. But I think he could have done it. But having said that, I mean, you know, provided you were prepared to hold on and go through with all of that, um, it did provide Putin the foundation, the context for many of the other things that he was saying. I mean, he was explaining an awful lot about the nature of the interrelationship between Russia and Ukraine, the long history, the fact that they were at one time uh, conceived of themselves as being one people. I mean, he didn't mention the simple fact, for example, that for the first couple of hundred years, they were literally one nation, one country, whose capital was Kiev. I mean, he could have simply said that. And then, you know, um, there was the invasion by the Mongols and all of this fragmented and Moscow eventually reasserted itself. But eventually, by that point, Poland had absorbed much of the west of Ukraine, much of the west of, west of this region, which eventually became Ukraine. And then um, in the 17th century, these two parts of what he claims of one people, they came back together again. And always orthodoxy was the single thing that brought them together and the fact that they were Slavs and Russians as well. So all of that, all of that, he could have said much more simply, but it does provide the context for everything else. The fact that, as he said at one point, to a great extent, this is a civil war. He actually said that there was one instance when Russian, Russian troops had surrounded some Ukrainian troops and called on them to surrender, and the Ukrainian troops shouted back, Russians never surrender, and said that in Russian. Things of that kind. And um, again, the fact that eastern Ukraine still considers itself to be profoundly Russian and has always thought of it as such, and how unnatural this attempt to separate Ukraine from Russia fundamentally is and why it is seen by Russians as such a profound existential matter going beyond the question about NATO's eastern, eastern expansion, the fact that NATO has been uh, tearing up arms control treaties, planting missile systems in Europe against the terms of those treaties, and doing things which the Russians would see as profoundly dangerous. So, I mean, it was interesting, and it explains his thinking and the context of things. And, you know, Americans who listen and, you know, follow this kind of thing would have found it interesting. And, as I said, Americans who perhaps are not able to follow the history so closely would, nonetheless, I think, have got the sense that he does have a grasp of these matters, even if it's perhaps not so hugely interesting to them. Yeah, I mean, if... If you've followed a, a Joe Rogan podcast or, or, or even one of our live streams, you know, that could go on for an hour and a half or two hours, 
I thought I thought the format of this interview was very much like that. It it, it was very open and a very a very free discussion that that was yes. taking place. And I, I think the, the today's viewer can sit down for two two and a half hours and and, and absorb everything that that Putin was saying, even if there were parts where where Putin may have been getting into too much uh, detail for for an everyday uh, uh, podcast or, or news uh, uh, viewer, but. Um, uh, Tucker did a great job in allowing Putin to speak. I thought he did a really good job there. Uh, go, going well, back to... Can I, can I just quickly yeah, quickly step yeah. in there and say this? I think Tucker did a masterly job. I thought it was the best Putin interview by a Western journalist I have seen. I mean, finally, we had a journalist who was prepared to let Putin express his thoughts and his views. I mean, what we always get from Western journalists whenever they interview Putin, and it's become increasingly, it's got worse and worse as the years have passed, is incredibly aggressive and polemical interviews, uh, constant interruptions, constant attempts to put Putin on the spot and embarrass and humiliate him in some way. And the result is, what we get in the end is an awful lot of heat and very little light. This time, it was different. Americans will have got a, an impression of Putin the man. They'd have seen who he is, and they will have heard him properly, and they will have heard his, uh, uh, you know, seen the, kind, the way he thinks and the kind of person he is. And, you know, they might not always agree with him. They might not always follow him. But at last, we've had a proper interview, a proper Putin interview that, uh, you know, even people like us can take away and work with and find things there that were interesting. Yeah, he's not this this crazy, unhinged uh, dictator that they make him out to be. And that's, at the end of the day, that's what scared the, the collective West with this, this interview, that it would actually show that Putin was, was very capable, very smart, understood the history, understood the facts, understood the numbers. And uh, he, he would be able to explain Russia's reasoning for everything that has taken place, not, o not only over the past two years, but over the past 20 or 30 years or, or even 100 years. I mean, Putin went all the way back to, well, to, to a thousand years. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, it, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Uh, what were your thoughts on his discussion with Tucker Carlson? I think Tucker was very concerned about about this and that has to do with Hungary Tucker Tucker has a soft spot for Hungary he's been there uh, he's met with Orban he, he likes the country he respects the country and there was an exchange between Tucker and Putin where they did talk about the 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 territories in the West which do have historical ties to Hungary to Romania to Poland then Putin told Tucker a story about how when he was traveling at one point in time uh, in the west of Ukraine, he saw men dressed in a certain way and they were of Hungarian ethnicity. Anyway, Putin got into all of that. And then Putin asked him about, you know, Hungary and, and what's going to happen with the west of Ukraine. Essentially, that was, Putin, that was uh, Tucker's question is, what's going to happen with this west of Ukraine? Are we going to see Hungary take their part? Are we going to see Romania take their historical lands? Are we going to see Poland? Uh, what did you make of of that exchange and tie it into what Putin said about the historical Russian lands east of the of the river? Odessa, Kharkov, Dnipropetrovsk. Putin didn't get into any of the names of, of the regions. 
But I, I think that Putin did give us a little bit of insight once again as to how he may be seeing an endgame to, to this map of, of what could be Ukraine or, or something else. I'm not saying he's decided on anything, but once again, I think we did get some insight. What were your thoughts on that exchange? I always it was an interesting inter- exchange. It was a most interesting exchange. Yeah, I mean, in fact, we got to the heart of the issue about Ukraine, and it was extremely interesting how um, Tucker, again, was able to bring us to this point by bringing up Hungary. And, um, you know, that enabled, again, Putin to, to discuss and enlarge things. Now, one thing he made absolutely clear, and it is important again, is that he has never discussed with Orban any territorial issues with respect to Ukraine. Again, there's been lots of suggestions that, you know, Putin and Orban are somehow in collusion with each other, that Orban is some kind of Putin agent in Europe. Um, Putin said, look, I've never spoken to Orban about any of this. What I saw for myself is that in this area, people don't speak Slavic languages and they are Hungarians and that this is ancestral Hungarian land. And he left it open. He said, one day, you know, one day that might be resolved and it might be resolved in accordance with Hungarian wishes and Hungarian national interests. Essentially, what he was talking about was self-determination. And at the same time, he is now absolutely clear, or so it seems to me, that he's talking about reincorporating, at the very least, Russian lands back into Russia. That means, at the very least, all the territory to the east of the Dnieper River. So that means Kharkiv, that means Zaporozhye, that means obviously Donbass, that means, um, that means all, the, all of that territory. Now, um, Odessa, of course, is actually to the west of the Dnieper River, but he's been... Again, very careful to say that Odessa is a Russian city. You're quite right. He didn't say that in this program. He was right, right not to, I think. That would have... Again, he, he, did mention the, the he, he did mention Catherine the Great. He did mention... He did mention Catherine the Great. He did mention Catherine the Great. Absolutely. So, and of course, Catherine the Great is the founder of uh, Odessa. And until fairly recently, there was a statue there of her. But anyway, so um, I... I, I think that if he's talking about Russian lands and bringing Russian lands specifically back into Russia, then that biological extension must include include Odessa as well. He's more explicit about this than he has ever been. Um, But bear in mind, and this is where his long historical explanation becomes very, very interesting, because he clearly regards Ukrainians as a type of Russian. And uh, one can see how, just as he was saying that in the 17th century, um, the coming together of Ukraine and Russia was the coming together of the Russian people again, that if things aren't settled, if there isn't a negotiated solution, and he made it again very, very clear that he's absolutely not averse to negotiations, that he's prepared to negotiate. Though, again, as I said, Russian territory, I think, in other words, territory east of the Dnieper, is no longer, for him, 
a fit subject for negotiations. But, you know, if there are no negotiations, uh, then at some point, if the Russians feel obliged to cross the Dnieper and to move into western Ukraine, well, it seems to me, into, into central Ukraine rather, into Kiev and those sort of places, well, he's not slammed the door on that and he's not slammed the door on some process of reunification, as he would call it, taking place as well. Now, that, I, I want to stress that's not what he said. He said, look, we're prepared to sit down, we're prepared to talk, it's the Ukrainians who tore up the Istanbul Agreement. It's the Ukrainians who passed this ridiculous law, which prohibits them from negotiating with us. We've had no proposals of any substance. And, you know, if all of that is changed and people are prepared to sit down, we have always said that we're prepared to sit down as well. So he's not closing the door on negotiations. In fact, he went out of his way to make that clear. But... So far, there's been no attempt to negotiate. All the talk and language in the West is about trying to find some means to continue the war. And I think people who are talking about continuing the war in the West ought to look at the direction of Putin's thinking. And this is as a way his discussions of history are important and really need to understand that if we ever do get into a situation where Russian troops find themselves not just in Zaporozhye and Kharkov and Odessa, but also one day in Zhitomir, Cherkasy, Dniepro and Kiev, well, there might come a time when Putin comes around and says, well, you know, these people are Russian too. They have our same culture. They have um, our same religion. They have a similar language. It's a variant of the Eastern Slav languages, but it's very close to Russian. They've thought of themselves as Russians in the past. They're part of Russia too. Yeah. Um, what did you uh, make of his... Uh... I don't want to say a revelation, but uh, the the exchange with Nord Stream, uh, Putin just coming out and saying, "Look, it's 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 the U.S. It's you guys," he said. "It's you guys looking to Tucker," but um, he made an interesting point in that he he said, "You know, it's not only the the qui bono aspect of it, but it's also who has the capabilities." He went. And he took and he took it one step further, which I thought was really, really interesting because we get this question all the time, and I, I think we've answered this question correctly now, which is if Russia has all this information, because Tucker asked this, he's like, "Do you know something? Do you have information? I mean, you're Russia, you have satellites, every you must know." I mean, that was what Tucker was implying, and and Putin was implying, you know, we do know, and this doesn't only carry to this doesn't only refer to to Nord Stream. This can refer to many instances. That, that have happened in the past uh, with regards to Russia um, and to the region, in that Putin said, you know, even if we disclosed this information, it's not going to make any difference because the United States has such a hold on the information space that no one's going to, to give it any light of day anyway. Even if, we, if, even if we say, look, we have this info on Nord Stream, here it is. 
because the U.S. controls the information space to such an extent, to such a great extent, it's not going to really convince anybody. I thought that was an interesting uh, revelation. In other words, it's Putin saying, we're not going to waste our time, even though we have the facts and we have the data, we have the surveillance, we have everything. We're not going to waste our time trying to, to, to get this information out there because when it comes to the information space, you know, this is controlled by the U.S. for now. Absolutely. That's exactly what he said. But he also said something else, which is that, of course, if we do disclose all of this information, then we're also providing the Western powers with information about our sources. We are giving away how we obtain this kind of information. And given that the Western powers control the information space, we would be giving away information about our sources to no useful end because we would compromise our sources and at the same time we would not achieve any political impact either. So, you know, he's, he, he was a very interesting comment, but he basically said, and this is the key point, that the, United, that the Russians know exactly who did it. They know how it was done, I suspect, and who did it, and it's Obviously, you could deduce it. You could say who benefits and who has the capability. But they obviously have, or believe they have, more information than just that. Or at least that's what Putin was hinting at. Did you get the sense that Putin is is done with the collective West? Because towards the end of the yeah, towards the end of the interview. There was another exchange where Putin was like, look, doesn't the United States have better things to do? You know, he's like, you guys have a problem at the southern border. You have 33 trillion in, in debt. You know, why are you poking around our neighborhood? Don't you guys have better concerns, other concerns to deal with? And, um, and <clears throat> I got the sense from from listening to Putin that that he was he was just like, you know, um, we're, we're done trying to to show the West that we want to be uh, good partners. We've tried. We've been, we've been denied over and over and over again. We've been double-crossed. We've been lied to. Um, he was just like, you know, you guys figure it out. Because Tucker was like, are you, are you open to, to peace? Are you open to negotiate? Are you open to dialogue? And, and, and I forgot exactly how Putin phrased it. But he was, he was just like, you know... Um, it's not our problem anymore. You guys got yourself in this mess. You figure it out. You come up with whatever, you know, uh, you, you need to, whatever solutions you may have in mind, tell us and let's see if we can find, find an off-ramp, find a way for you to save face. But he's like, it's not our problem anymore. And, and I was thinking to the beginning of the SMO when um, we were talking about uh, Clausewitz and how the Russians view war very much as just an extension of, of politics towards achieving a political uh, aim. And, and I, really, I really think that Putin subscribes to that philosophy. And I think he was telling Tucker, we're going to achieve our political aim, whether it's through, uh, whether it's on the battlefield or if the collective West comes to us and, and, and suggests a different formula. At the end of the day, though, we're gonna we're gonna uh, complete the goals that we have uh, have set out in the special military operation. I, I mean, did you get that sense from Putin that, that that's what he was trying to to convey to to Tucker? 
Absolutely. In fact, I think he even at one point, he didn't mention Clausewitz, but I think he did, he did actually pretty much say that. I mean, he also, by the way, uh, um, set out his uh, fundamentally realist view of international relations. He actually, there was a whole passage where he basically explained them. And this is where he was talking about, you know, the rise and fall of states and empires and all of that kind of thing. And he said, you know, that you have to be realistic, you have to be practical about how the world is shaped and how uh, things happen. And, um, you know, he was in effect coming across to me as an entirely Clausewitzian thinker. But let's, let's, you know, focus on other things. Yes, he is absolutely fed up with the West. I mean, he, he even said at the very end, the very end of the interview, when uh, Tucker was pressing him about Gershkovitz, this is this American journalist that the Russians arrested, who went to Nizhny Tagil, or was it Sverdlov, uh, uh, Yekaterinburg, and tried to get information y- 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 about... Yekaterinburg, the Ur- Yekaterinburg. Yeah, exactly, the Ural, the Ural uh, uh, Wagon Zavod factory and all that. Um, uh, and Tucker said to him, you know, well, you know, why aren't you going to can't, can't you do a goodwill gesture? And he said, we've done heaps of goodwill gestures. And there's never get, we never get any reciprocal result for them. So why should we bother anymore? Now this time there has to be a trade because we're not doing anything any longer for nothing. Um, we're not relying on promises. We're just going to, we're just going to take a very tough-minded and realistic view of our own interests. And he, he made it... He said, why? I mean, he, he went through... In effect, the entire diplomatic history since the end of the Cold War, how, um, you know, the Russians, as he put it, made striven repeatedly to find uh, ways to meet the Americans and the Europeans uh, and achieve a, a sustainable solution. He talked about, you know, how they were promised that NATO would not advance eastwards, it happened. They were told that uh, uh, you know he he asked, "Can the can Russia join NATO?" Bill Clinton said, "Yes, possibly." And then immediately the United States comes back and says, "No, no way." So he said, "Okay, we we can't join NATO. Can we find some other way forward?" And you know he makes all kinds of all kinds of proposals, suggestions, talks about new security architecture. West isn't interested. Um, he talked about how you know he'd entered into all kinds of discussions with Western officials. He made it very clear that he doesn't any longer think that presidents, U.S. presidents, actually have that much power. He he said that the president, whoever he is, is basically constrained by elite consensus. It made me. Re- it reminded me very much, if you remember, of that incident during the first Trump impeachment, when Alexander Vindman, remember him, the official of the National Security Council, became absolutely furious because what Donald Trump did or said at some point contradicted the policy of the interagency. (laughs) I mean, Putin's clearly come to that view. And, you know, he said, you know, given this history, given the fact that we made... Effort after effort, tried time and again to come to some kind of understanding with the West. And we've had it always thrown into our faces. People say one thing, do something else. He made it pretty clear that on occasions, 
some of the conversations have become incredibly heated and abusive. Um, he's he's basically lost interest. He says, you know, we're not we're not giving anything away anymore. We're going to follow our interests, and we're not going to rely on your promises because you don't keep them. All right, and one final. Uh, I've got two more questions. Uh, China. Yeah. I think Putin squashed the whole uh, analysis or theory that that Russia is not really going to to be able to to get along with China, or there's always going to be some sort of tension between uh, Russia and China. I think Putin was very clear in saying that that Russia and China they're they're in this thing together. Absolutely, Bricks, I in this this thing together. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, he he was because again, Taco was basically. Um, you know, leading him there. I mean, there's this constant thing that you constantly hear now from many, many Westerners that, uh, um, yeah, you know, that, that what Putin is doing is he's making um, Russia a satellite of, you know, China. He's becoming, in effect, a province of greater China. Well, he squashed that one. And, you know, he, he went out of his way to say, look, we've, we've had many dealings with the Chinese, They've never acted towards us in that kind of way. I mean, he basically said that. And, of course, it's difficult when he, to avoid making the contrast based on the other things that he said between the way in which the Chinese interact with the Russians and the way the West has interacted with the Russians. When um, Westerners constantly warn the Russians, you know, you're handing over the keys to China. They always seem to ignore the fact that what they have been asking the Russians repeatedly to do is hand over the keys to them. And Putin says, the Chinese have never asked us for the keys. But you repeatedly have done. Or at least you've always acted as if that's what you want from us. I mean, he even brought up Yeltsin at one point. He said, you know, that, you know, you built up Yeltsin. You said what a great person he was. And then the moment Yeltsin turned around and said, you know, bombing Serbia is unacceptable, which no Russian political leader could have avoided doing, was suddenly the floodgates open. You know, he's a drunk, he's corrupt, he's incompetent, he's authoritarian, all of these things. And, you know, Given this kind of behaviour, in effect, it's you who've pushed us away. And if we're now friends with China, well, so be it. And the Chinese have never treated us like that. And he clearly doesn't expect that they ever will. Yeah, he did say that. Um, he, he said the genie was let out of the bottle with the bombing of Serbia and Yeltsin with regards to international law and, and all of that stuff. That was a very interesting comment. Uh, a final question. Does this change anything as far as the conflict in Ukraine, as far as uh, how Europe deals with Russia, the EU, Germany, as far as how uh, the Biden White House deals with Russia? Does this change anything at all? Um, no, maybe it won't. Not in the short the, term. The public sentiment in the US towards, towards Putin? Not. Will, will that change? Not in the short term, but it might provide an important marker 
for the future. So let us assume, you know, going a little bit forward, that we get into a situation where the administration starts to make um, commitments to Ukraine. And you remember, they, they were talking at one point about that there's been discussion about sending troops to Ukraine. Now, I mean, you know, um, it's been floated. I think it was Schumer who raised it last. And you know, that was where he said, you know, why, why do you want to send troops to Ukraine? We've got all those, those other problems in your own country. But let's assume something like that happens and um, decisions are made in the West, which the Western public suddenly realises are dragging the West towards a potentially incredibly dangerous confrontation with Russia. Well, at that point, the record has been laid straight by Putin, as he sees it, and people who want to argue about against that, they can go back and they can point out that, on the contrary, it's not the Russians who've been aggressive, it's we who have been. It's not the Russians who have walked back on agreements. It is the West that has. The Istanbul Agreement, the Minsk Agreement, these are specific to Ukraine. He went into great detail about those. All the arms control agreements that existed, all the promises that we were given, that in fact it is we in the West who, as Putin says, exerted pressure, pressure, pressure upon Russia, not us, the Russians. So we are not a threat to you. You have been a threat to us. And as I said, if we start to drift into a dangerous escalation, which we might do, I mean, it's possible, then, of course, the, the record is there and people in the West who want to push back and argue about it, well, they have that record, that interview between Tucker and Putin to draw upon. And they could say, look, where our governments are taking us is disastrous. There was another way. There were alternatives and we didn't follow them. And it's our governments who have brought us to this point, just as they've done on so many other cases in Vietnam, in Iraq, in Afghanistan or wherever. Only this time it's with Russia and it's become far more dangerous. So I, I think... It's not going to change anything immediately, but it might become very important in the near future. Yeah, one more question, comment. Um, <laughs> boy, did, uh, did, did, did Putin really lay into uh, Boris Johnson? Um, he talked about Canada and the, and the parliament situation. And he also revealed how little respect he has for uh, Zelensky. Oh, know, he's the president. He says he's the president. You know, he can he can talk to me. He can negotiate with me. He says he's the president. We'll want to act like a president. That's pretty much what Putin was saying. But boy, did he really lay into, for example, Johnson. I mean, he demolished Boris Johnson. Absolutely. Uh, uh, completely. I mean, he said, he, I mean, he basically, I mean, made, Boris Johnson looked like, like a clown, which of course Boris is, and Zelensky as well. And of course, as you correctly said, he talked a lot about Canada and what happened there. And uh, I, I mean, he's, frankly, his lack of respect and esteem for Western leaders altogether shone through. Presidents who, American presidents, who can't deliver 
on what they promise. European leaders who follow American orders all the time, even when they know that what they're doing is a mistake and is going to turn into a disaster. I mean, he, he brought up again what happened in 2008 at the uh, Bucharest uh, summit meeting, the one where um, uh, NATO invited Ukraine and Georgia to join uh, NATO. And he said, you know, Merkel, the non-alarmed, he didn't name them, but it's clear that's whom he meant, came along and tell, told him afterwards, well, we don't want Ukraine in NATO, we don't think this is at all a good idea, but the Americans have put all this pressure on us, and so we've had to agree. Uh, but don't worry, because uh, Ukraine is never going to join NATO. And Putin says, you must be kidding me, do you think I'm a fool? If the Americans put pressure on you to extend an invitation that um, you say you don't agree with, how can how how is it how is it going to be any different when the moment comes and the Americans say to you, Ukraine must join NATO now? Of course you'll agree. You've already agreed to something you say is wrong, and you're going to agree to something. You now tell me is wrong when that point comes. And I mean, he, he clearly has no time or patience or respect for any of the leaders of the West. I'm going to add one other little point about Putin. But he doesn't I use mean, bad language. Oh, I mean, no, he doesn't. Just, he just, never does. He doesn't say dictator and this guy, thug. No. Yeah, that, no. I think that's what separates no. Putin from a Biden, let's say. Exactly. Or, or, he he doesn't. He did at one point call them satellites, <laughs> satellites of the United States. But, you know, that's pretty measured language by the standards of what we have today. Uh, but, you know, he did. He was he was he's always polite, careful in his language. He's very careful not to disclose confidences. You know, um, they are always giving information about things he's supposed to have said in private discussions um, he says that he will never do the same, and he doesn't. He's very careful not to repeat words that were spoken to him by Western leaders in confidential negotiations. And he's, he's, he, he extends those kind of formal courtesies. But in terms of um, actual respect, it's clear that he hasn't any. By the way, the other thing I wanted to just mention is that, of course, uh, he laughs several times during the interview. And how rarely do we see that in interviews with Western leaders nowadays? I mean, um, again, he has a sense of humour and Westerners and Americans who followed this interview will have got a glimpse of it. Yeah. Just a couple of more comments. It's a long video, but it was such, a, such an interesting interview. Um, you know, Putin did mention something that we talk about a lot as well, or we have talked about a lot as well on the show, which is the the long term prospect of what's going to happen in this region, which is essentially what happened between um, Russia and and Chechnya, the Chechens. After the conflict, they eventually took time, but they eventually found their way to uh, to be together. And uh, Putin hit, actually that was probably the last uh, that was one of the last uh, comments he made to Tucker during the interview, which is when all is said and done and, and this conflict ends, um, Putin did mention that the collective West, they really do want to break up Russia. That's the end goal is to break up Russia. 
but Putin's comment was very much along the lines of what's going to happen is, is the exact opposite, which is that eventually it's going to take time, but we're going to heal and Russians and Ukrainians will, will find their way back together again. Um, I thought that was that was an interesting and probably a proper way to to end the the interview, and that's that's that is how it ended. Oh, absolutely, and I think that is. I actually agree with him. I think that is what is going to happen. And well, we've you know, said that. Is, I mean, you've said, said that, that in many that in many, many videos. Yeah, videos exactly. And um, you know, it's 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 important that I mean the other thing about this interview you said about how he didn't say any rude things about. Um, Western leaders, but he said no rude things, no unple- no rude things about Ukrainians or Ukrainian culture or anything like that. I mean, he was very, very hard on the neo-Nazi element in Ukraine. Uh, another thing he disclosed, by the way, an interesting point, which, again, most people missed, is that he also mentioned that as part of the Istanbul Agreement, Ukraine in draft committed itself to taking action to basically clean all that up. Again, that's not something we've heard before, but uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, the relevant provisions of the Istanbul agreement, draft agreement, when it's finally released, which shows that. But anyway, he was very, yeah, very That also hard. gave us some insight, just to, just to go into your point there, because I want you to talk about this, that also gives us some insight. He gave some insight as to what drove Zelensky with Boris Johnson to break the agreement in that Putin said Zelensky probably saw that he would not be able to go against the the, the neo-Nazi elements and decided to take the easy path, which was to, to listen to Johnson and, and align exactly. with the West. I mean, that, that is what he said. So he did give us some insight there as to, as it, to what, it did, it did. what decisions I, I mean, Zelensky probably made. I mean, the impression that he gives is of, uh, of a very weak leader in Zelensky um, who is incapable of facing down the hardline Nazi element within Ukraine and would have needed the support of the West to do it. But as he straightforwardly said at one point, the West, on the contrary, prefers to align itself with this hardline element because that keeps Ukraine on the anti-Russian track, which is unnatural to it. But going back to the point about reconciliation, I mean, the fact that Putin himself as is very careful to be, you know, to say nothing, um, you know, critical or reverse or about Ukraine or its culture or its people. I mean, it is it's a little bit in the style of Lincoln, you know, with uh, um, malice towards none, with charity for all. You could almost see a similar speech from Putin coming out, well, not, of course, with that kind of language, that kind of splendid language, but that kind of tone and intention once the war is over. Let us seek a reconciliation together and rebuild together. We will respect the differences in your culture and you'll respect ours, and ultimately we're one people and we will find a way forward together. And I think, you know, that's... that's the way he conceives of things. And by the way, I think probably, he's probably right. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's, uh, let's end it there. The Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, Telegram, Rockfin, and Twitter X. And go to the Duran shop. 15% off all t-shirts. Take care.